We're in Lent. It is a journey uh, that we take together with Jesus toward Easter. And I think it is good that we take that journey with Jesus, hearing what he said about himself through what are called the seven signs in the Gospel of John. And the first sign was in John 2, the turning of water into wine. We talked about that Ash Wednesday, and now we'll cover a different sign all the way through Easter. This comes from the fourth uh, chapter of um, John, uh, and our And 46, continuing through verse 54. Again, he visited Canaan, Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. A royal official was there whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus replied, you will never believe. Please, sir, said the man, come down, for my son is near death. Jesus replied, go, your son will live. So the man took Jesus at his word. And he departed. As he was on his way, some of his servants met him and gave him the news that the boy was living. When he inquired about what time the boy got better, they told him yesterday afternoon about one o'clock the fever left him. When the father realized that this was the exact time that Jesus had said, go, your son will live, he and his entire household came to believe This was the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Cana of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I've had the privilege a few times in my life to walk um, parts of Galilee. And from time to time when I'm there or thinking about being there, I think, Boy, wouldn't it have been great to walk through Galilee when Jesus was there and to, and to walk behind him or walk alongside of him. But then I read the Gospel of John and then I say to myself, really? Is that something I really want to do? Because when you look at the Gospel of John and the seven sign stories, the first thing you notice right off the bat is Jesus is not always easy to deal with in person. There is a, a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the wine is run out. And so his mother, knowing that the Messiah will bring new wine, according to Joel chapter 3, comes to him and he says, Woman, why do you involve me? There, uh, in today's story, there is a royal official whose son, whose own son, is close to death. And Jesus says to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, You will never believe. Next week, we're going to meet a guy who is uh, paralyzed. And so he's waiting for to get put in a pool of water so he can be healed. Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to get well? You wonder about those responses. Uh, Jesus can sometimes seem to be off-putting. But I think when you realize that Jesus is a rabbi, fully a rabbi, though he is the son of God, you realize that one of the things that rabbis do is through means of questions and comments, they want you to clarify where you are in this life of faith. And so sometimes these questions are meant to help us probe our own lives deeper. 
Sometimes they're simply meant to keep the conversation going because a rabbi loves a good conversation, loves to be in discussion, and loves to be in relationship with other people. So sometimes the response is meant to get a response from you so that you can continue that relationship. I'm reminded of a story I told uh, a few of you. Uh, It's about two great rabbis who, when uh, it is not raining in Israel, uh, fast and pray before God for it to rain because they are so dependent on rain, as much as, as we are, of course. And one rabbi, great rabbi, fasts and prays and nothing happens. Another great rabbi, Rabbi Kiva, fasts and prays. The heavens open up and it rains. So they come to Rabbi Kiva and they said, why did God listen and respond to your prayer and not to the prayer of the other great rabbi? And this is what he told them. He said, there was once a king who had two daughters. And they would both come before him and ask him for things. One was real whiny. So when, when she came before him, he gave her what she wanted immediately so that she would leave. The other one was a delight and a pleasure to be with. So he wouldn't give her what she wanted so that they could stay in the conversation and stay in each other's presence. I thought that was a beautiful answer. Part of what Jesus does is to invite our further reflection and invite our presence. But what you've got to know is when you're with Jesus in Galilee, he doesn't always give you the answer you want in the way you want it. There's a Samaritan woman. And when she finds out that Jesus says, look, if you knew me, you know, you, you can have living water. Uh, she figures, well, gosh, I don't want to make this trip anymore. If, if you've seen wells in, the, in, in, uh, uh, in ancient days, oftentimes you had to take long series of, of, of narrow steps to get down to the bottom of the well. Then you get the water and you got to haul it uh, all the way um, back up to the top. So this woman's thinking well, Jesus could be a labor-saving device. But instead, Jesus then turns the discussion and wants to know about her husband, or rather the six husbands that she's had in her life. Not exactly what she was looking for in this conversation. Jesus and the royal official from Capernaum have a discussion. What he's looking for is Jesus to come down. If Jesus could just be there, the child would get better. Come down, he invites Jesus two different times. But what does Jesus tell him? Go! Jesus isn't coming. He's telling the official to go. We often don't get what we want when we walk with Jesus in Galilee. So I think, gosh, do I really want to be there? But then I realize I don't need to be there. When you look carefully at the Gospel of John, one of the messages of the Gospel of John is that Jesus does not have to physically be in your presence to be present with you. Jesus speaks a word in Cana of Galilee, and a boy is healed miles away in Capernaum. Now, how far away is it? I don't know. Archaeologists have four different sites for Cana. A couple of them stand out. But but just for fun and, and the sake of argument this morning, let's say Jesus is standing here with the royal official and the child's in New Brussels. And just by speaking a word, the child is healed. Healed. Have you ever entered a contest and they told you you did not need to be present to win? For Christians, it's the same way. And that is, Jesus need not be present for you to win. Because He can be with you even closer to you than you are to yourself. You don't have to be with Him in Galilee in 27 A.D. He is as close, if not closer, to you today in 2010 than He was to the royal official whose son was sick Uh, more than 2,000 years ago. The 
Scripture tells us that Jesus is not bound by time or even by other geographical boundaries that we have, but is real and is present with us wherever we are. That helps me understand something Jesus says later in the Gospel of John. He says, Now blessed are you, those of you who have never seen me and yet you believe in me. I used to think that was like, you know, the consolation prize, you know, uh, you know what they give you in soccer. You didn't win the game, but you tried hard and you got snacks. You know, I, I kind of thought that was the deal. Jesus is sort of patting me on the head and saying, you know, that's okay. It, it's all right. But I don't think that's what he's saying at all. He's saying, if you believe in me, you will actually have me in your presence. I am as close to you as I was to the people in Galilee, if not closer, because now there are no physical uh, boundaries between us at all. Well, how can Jesus be that present to us uh, centuries later and miles away? Well, you may remember our uh, physicist uh, friend, Hugh Ross, that spoke. And, and the interesting thing about Dr. Ross is he gave three different lectures at, at three different sermons. So I don't know which one you heard. But one of them, he talked about the extra dimensionality of Jesus. You know, that, that you can, like, prove through physics why Jesus can walk through walls because he uh, inhabits another dimension. And I don't doubt that. But I don't think that's what John is saying here. John is saying that Jesus is principally present by his word. He speaks his word and suddenly he's 20 miles away in Capernaum. That when Jesus' word is spoken, heard, and received... Jesus is there. So that when the Gospels are read, when the Gospels are studied, when the Gospels are heard, Jesus is actually there. Just as close, if not closer, than he was 2,000 years ago. Listen to these words from Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said years ago, I'm a Jew. I was raised reading the Tanakh and the Talmud. But I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. And when I read the Gospels, he said... I cannot fail to feel his presence. That's a real presence. When when the word of of God through the Gospels is read and heard and spoken, Jesus is there. He is just as much here today as he was for the royal official, if not even more so. And it's by his word that we can experience his presence. Which sort of raises the question, if Jesus is feeling a little distant to you in your life, how much time have you or I spent with his word? Fred Craddock tells uh, when he was a pastor, he went to the hospital to visit a woman who's facing uh, surgery. It was not life-threatening, but, you know, the most serious surgery is always your surgery. And uh, so she was very distressed when he came into the room. She said, I'm so glad you're here. Will you pray for me? I just don't see Jesus anywhere. I I don't sense him. Will you pray for me that he will be with me and that he will help me? And, and of course, Fred got around to doing that. But he said, you know, I looked at the table that they usually put the food tray on, swings over the bed. And he said, on our table, he said, I saw Us magazine, People magazine, The Inquirer, and The Star. He said, I looked at that food tray and there weren't five calories on the whole thing. Everything but God's word. How can we expect his presence if we do not uh, study, hear, and receive his words? Where Jesus' word is, there he is. It's very clear in the Gospel of John. This is Lent. Kicked it off Ash Wednesday. But from this day, if you just start, you know, maybe your calendar didn't have it. So you're starting today. Perfect. You've got 
six weeks till Easter. If you read a chapter of John every day from now till Easter, you would go through the Gospel of John twice. And I assure you, when you are back here Easter morning, Jesus will be more real and present to you in your life than he is today. You've got John's word. He learned it from Jesus. He saw and heard that. He is present in his word. He's present also, I believe, um, though this will come up more in the book of Acts than the Gospel of John. Uh, he's present also by His Spirit so that when we are praying and when we are doing what Marcia's um, sister suggested, when we're listening for God, I think He is also very real to us. And what you need to know is that if Jesus is not real to us, it is not a failure on His part. It's not a lack of desire on His part. He wants to be with us even more than I think we want him to be with us. And he can be with us. When I look at the story of the, a, a royal official, I see two things that really seem, I think, to help Jesus be so live to him and for him. The first one is to this, and that is the great humility. He is a royal official, and yet he is begging, if you would just come down. My son is close to death. Come down. Part of the reason I think we don't experience Jesus um, uh, more present in our life is quite simply because we're not desperate enough. We have other things that we can trust in. Our degrees, our technology, our contact, our networks, our, you fill in the blank. We don't need him like the royal official needs him. Until we get desperate for Jesus' presence, I think it's just harder to experience him. So I know it's my own lack of humility sometimes that gets in the way from me experiencing Jesus even more so than the royal officials uh, uh, got to experience Jesus. The other thing I note about the royal official, which Marsha pointed out, he, he took Jesus at his word. He just, he obeyed. Jesus said it and he, and he believed it and responded accordingly. He, he wants Jesus to come down with him thinking, if I can just get the two of them in the same room, sick child Jesus, it's going to work. And Jesus just says, go. And he does. Takes him at his word. Obeys what he has heard. And Jesus is present. It is, I think, our humility to recognize that we need Jesus more than we need anyone else. And it's our willingness to say, Jesus, when we experience you and when we hear your word, we will carry it out. That I think makes him uh, so present to us in our lives. But again, the failure in my life is never on the other end. It's not that Jesus doesn't want to be present. It's somehow playing games with me, hide and seek of one kind or another. It's that usually I have not had a desire that anywhere matches his desire to be with me. Uh, we, um, uh, and a number of us in the church are reading the story. The story is uh, kind of a Reader's Digest version of uh, the Scriptures. And when you get to this week's chapter in the story, you read about King Manasseh. Well, all I can tell you about King Manasseh is he's bad news. Um, you've probably heard about wicked Queen Jezebel and her husband, King Ahab. Well, they were bad news, and they were terrible kings in what's called the northern kingdom of Israel. But the worst kingdom in Judah and Jerusalem's history, the worst king, was a guy named Manasseh. He was terrible. All his life he was terrible. He did worse things than Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, it, it was disgusting. It really is. But near the end of his life, he decides to repent. At the end of his life, he, he realizes he got it all wrong. So this is not in the Bible. I don't think it's, it's true, but I think it's interesting. The rabbis tell a story 
that when King Manasseh got ready to repent, the angels got really ticked off. They thought, where does this guy get off being so terrible his whole life and then coming back around at the end? And so the angels decide they will jam the transmission. They, they will interfere with King Manasseh's plea for help so that it doesn't reach the ears of God. And the rabbis say, quite similar, by the way, to something that would happen at Jesus' baptism, that what God does is God rips open the heavens, sticks God's hair and, and head and ears to hear that cry of someone who is desperately calling for God. As much As we might want to be with Jesus, even more so does God the Father want Jesus to be with us. When you read this story, it's about a father and his son and Jesus. And you you know that as a father or mother, you will do anything possible for your child to be in the presence of Jesus. And don't you think God the Heavenly Father desires the same? God will stop at nothing so that Jesus can be present in our life. I think God looks for a matching desire on our part.